Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather as a body of believers and we can offer praise to you. Lord, you are good. You're worthy of our praise. We bless your name this morning. We have 10,000 reasons and so many more to praise you. Lord, we just sang an invitation to your spirit to come. We, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill this place. May we see your glory. May you accomplish your purposes. And we, we pray with the realization that if your spirit comes, we will leave different than we came in. That we can be transformed by your word and through the power of your spirit. We want that. We need that. Lord, we're, we come this morning to feast upon your word. And, and we need your spirit to help digest it and to take it into us. To understand the truths of your word about who we are in Christ. So that we can live that out. We pray your spirit would apply this to our lives today for your glory, for our good. Come, spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. If you'll turn there, going through a series called uh, Christ-Centered Living. And uh, what we've learned so far is that Christ is supreme over creation. Uh, He's supreme over his church. Uh, He's uh, high and lifted up. Uh, We've also learned at the end of last week of chapter 2 that we're not saved by keeping man-made rules, but by grace through faith. And as we turn to our pages to chapter 3, Paul's going to kind of transition from principles to practices. It really doesn't do any good to to know and even proclaim God's truth if we don't live them out. Uh, Paul said to to Titus in in Titus 1.6 that there are some who claim to know God, but, but by their actions they deny Him. Uh, we don't want that to be the case for us. And so we believe that, that what we believe affects how we behave and how we live our lives. And so God wants to make us new in Christ. And, and then he not only wants to make us new, but he challenges us to, to live in that newness of life. And uh, we're new creation in Christ. And so Colossians chapter 3, we're going to talk about this morning our new life in Christ. Our new life now. I invite you to stand We'll read verses 1 through 11. Not your best life now, but your new life now. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. I just point out, if you're a believer, you have been raised with Christ. If that's the case, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. There's a whole message in that. We, we just set our minds, I think, about Miss B, and we'll have her funeral tomorrow. But just thinking about where she's at now with the Lord that she loved and served, we, we, we can grieve because we miss her, but then we can set our minds on the things above and realize that, that God has uh, prepared a way for us to enjoy Him forever. So set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, 
Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And we'll ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. I invite you to be seated. And uh, the last phrase in verse 11, we're, this is the direction that we're going this morning, that Christ is all and in all. Uh, we'll end with that this morning, but but I also want to start with it for just a moment. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ has changed your life. He is all and in all. He is of prime importance in our lives. And so this morning, I want us to consider the ramifications of our new life in Christ. Our new life in Christ. The first thing I want us to notice is that we have a new position. We have a new position. Uh, verse 1, if or since you have been raised with Christ. Now this, there's certainty here that this is talking about our salvation. And Paul uses this kind of language. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Uh, he wants us to know that we have this new life in Christ. It's talking about our conversion experience. And Paul is establishing the truth that since we have been raised with Christ, we have a new position or a new status or we have uh, a new power for living. And so as the believers, we have died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. Ephesians 2, 6 says we've been seated with Him in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, keep seeking the things above. Seek the things that are above, or set your hearts on things that are above. That word seek means to, to seek something in order to possess it. And it's in the present tense, so we are to continue to seek the things which are above. That's a daily activity for the believer. And you might say, why? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if our treasure is in heaven, our heart will be there, and we'll let that influence the way we live our lives. Now, Paul's going to get pretty specific in regards to our new position in Christ. He's going to give us five aspects of our new position. First, we died with Christ. Verse 3, for you have died. Now, this really looks to the cross. And on the cross, positionally, we died with Christ. Galatians 2.20 uh, I've been crucified with Christ. So I don't live any longer myself. I've been crucified. I've died with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, believers, you have died with Christ. Positionally speaking, listen, our, our, our own nature is not renewed or restored. It's dead. We've died. That old nature is dead. You've died. Not only have we died with Christ, but back to verse 1, we are raised with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. And this verse speaks of our union with Christ. Just as we died with Christ, we've also been raised with Christ. Really, that's the beauty of baptism. It, it symbolizes all that. And so when we go down under the water, we're picturing our death with Christ. We're buried with Christ in the water. And then just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we come up out of the water. And it's a picture of being raised with Christ. So we died with Christ. We're raised with Christ. And then thirdly, we are hidden in Christ. Notice verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow, we're hidden in Christ 
in God. That means, I mean, that's a picture of the security that we have and the satisfaction that we have in Christ. Uh, it, here's the image. It's an image of a treasure that's stored away in a secure place. A.T. Robertson is a Greek scholar. And, uh, he said, here we are in Christ who is in God and no burglar not even Satan himself can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, I really want you to get this truth this morning. Uh, I talk to people regularly about their eternal security. And some people say, well, I just don't know if you can. Listen, we are in Christ. I am secured in Christ. I have been adopted into his family. And not only are we secure in Christ, but, but we don't have to be anxious about so much stuff in life. And so I got a little illustration this morning. I got the Tupperware out. I, I figured Tupperware would come in. There would be a use for Tupperware someday, and it just so happens it's a sermon illustration. How about that? And so I, I, one of these uh, containers, I, I was just going to describe our life. And uh, if we were going to describe our life before we got saved, well, I'd draw a picture of a dead man. Because if you remember back in chapter 2, we were, we were dead in our trespasses. You can look back there in chapter 2, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses... Uh, but we're not talking about being dead. And so I'm going to put that one down. I'm going to talk about our new life in Christ. Now, I, I drew these last time, and you know that I'm an artist. Uh, but, but this is us. I don't know which one of us, but one of us. This is us. And, and if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 27. Well, we were dead, and, and, and chapter 2, verse 13 tells us that he made us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. And so we're made alive in Christ. And then uh, back in chapter 1, verse 27, uh, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I, I got this smallest container, and I, I wrote Christ in there. And for the believer, it, it says that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so our life, as a believer, has Christ in us. And if you keep reading back in chapter 1, verse 28, uh, Paul says the goal is to present you mature in Christ. And there's lots of verses that speak of us as believers being in Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn over there, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, yes, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace he has saved us, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so now the Bible tells us that not only is Christ in us, but it says that we are in Christ. I wrote Christ on this one. So here's us. Christ in me. I'm in Christ. Listen, I'm, I'm secure in Christ. I'm going to Yeah. I'm in Christ. Yeah. And then it doesn't stop there, but verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I've got this big container, and I call it God, and I'm putting my life in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you get this picture, let me ask you, do you feel pretty secure? You should. If you're in God, you should be pretty secure. And sometimes uh, my awesome wife, 
Uh, that counts with my kindness challenge. I have an awesome wife. I don't know if I've told you that lately, but, but my awesome wife sometimes asks me, she's like, why don't you worry about anything? And listen, if I were on my own, if I were over there, I would worry. But my theology affects my life. And I know that I'm in Christ, hidden with Christ, in God. And if that's where I'm at, then what, what do I have to worry now, I believe there's a real adversary, Satan, and I believe he wants to destroy me. He wants to destroy you. I, I believe all that, but here's what I know. When he comes against me, he has to go through my father. He has to go through my father. If by chance he got past my father, which ain't happening, then who's he got to deal with? Christ. Now, how'd that work out for him last time? Well, we talked about that in chapter 2. You remember last time, uh, he was left shame and defeated. You, you can look that up over in chapter 2. I think it's verse 15. Uh, but he was shamed and defeated. And you see, he thought on the cross that he was crucified, my Lord. But you all know, ain't no grave going to keep his body down. Yeah, he rose in victory. He shamed Satan. Satan, if you want to go back to Genesis 3.15, he got his head crushed. Amen? And so, uh, if he gets past my father, then he has to deal with Christ. And if he gets to me, I still have Christ in me. And so, why do we worry all the time? Why is there so much fear? Listen, get, get a hold of this this morning. Uh, whatever this world may throw at you, whether it's persecution or ridicule or whether it's disease or, or even death, it doesn't matter. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me, and we are hidden in God. Church, I'm absolutely secure in God. And nothing can separate me from His love. Romans 8 talks about that. I'm persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing. I, whatever you can think of, Paul says, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ my Lord. Church, we ought to stand on that. We don't have to go hide in the corner when someone talks about eternal security. We're hidden in Christ, in God. That's the picture that we got to have. And so, listen, I'm going to tell you what, the enemy's going to lie to you about something this week. you you got to remind him where you're at. And so let him make accusations and threaten you. It doesn't matter. But here's the question. Is your life hidden? Is your life secure in Christ? Verse 4 says, let me get back there to Colossians. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. And so we live in Christ. Uh, for the believer, Christ is really what our life is all about. Without Him, we would be dead in our trespasses. We'd be hopeless and helpless without Him. But Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the life. Jesus said, I came, John 10, 10, I come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. And so by realizing that Christ is in our life, we listen, we can have a new attitude about everything that happens to us. If He truly is our life, listen, we don't have to live in fear. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Then notice the next phrase. Then you also will appear with Him in glory. When, when Christ appears, you, you see that? The fact that Christ is going to come back is, is certain. 
Now, we don't know when, and so we keep our eyes open. We, we look with anticipation of the coming of the Lord, but His appearing is certain. And when He is revealed in glory, 1 John 3, 2 says that we will know that we'll be like Him because we will see Him as He is. So we'll be transformed into the image of Christ. And, uh, and then back to verse 4. Then you also will be revealed will appear with him in glory. So the fourth thing is we are glorified in Christ. Uh, Romans 8.30, whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul speaks of that as the certainty, as if it's already happened. And so our glorification, our future glorification is also certain. And back to verse 1, it says that we are seated in, that Christ is seated at the Father's right hand. I got this picture myself of, of him at the right hand of the Father. And he's just waiting for the Father to, to speak the word or give the signal for him to go and get his church. He's going to come back. He will appear in his glory. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, we, we talk about this at funerals sometimes, but the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a cry or with a shout. I, I like to shout myself. With the shout, with the voice of a, an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And, and those of us, if we happen to still be alive and remain, we'll be called up to, to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall always be with the Lord. And so he is going to appear, and we will be glorified with him. And so let me ask you, how often do you consider your new position in Christ? And it's important to remember who we once were. We once were dead, but now we're made alive. We're in Christ. And even I like to think about what is coming one day when we are with Christ. I think, church, we need to consciously set our minds on things that are above, heavenly things, and realize that our that our outlook often determines the outcome. Not only do we have a new position in Christ, but secondly, we have new practices. Notice verse 9. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Some translation says with its evil practices. And so notice Paul says that we are to put off the old self. We're to put off the old self. Now we might hear that and think, oh, what, is it, what does that mean? And what, How does that what does that look like practically? Well, Paul kind of gives us some pictures here in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In other words, if you're a believer, you need to schedule a funeral. You need to put to death what is earthly in you. You need to mortify what is earthly in you. Because we have died with Christ, that's verse 3, we, listen church, we have the power to slay the earthly, fleshly desires that wanted to control us. Church, we have, by the grace of God, we, we, we have to die to the old self. Paul said in, in Romans 6, 11, consider yourselves dead to sin, or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So specifically, Paul says to put together what is earthly in you. I, I'm going to call these the sensual sins. Put off the sensual sins. And I notice in here that Paul doesn't get generic and just say sin, but he is very specific. And he names some specific earthly or sensual sins that we have to war against. And I think if these 
sensual sins were important enough for Paul to mention them, but they're important enough for us to review them. So the first one in verse 5 is sexual immorality. The word is fornication or pornea, and the word in the Greek refers to all uh, or any form of illicit sexual behavior. The word pornea obviously is the word for which we get pornography. And uh, let me just point out that Paul speaks more about sexual sins than he does other, any other sins. Some might say, well, why is that? Well, I'm going to tell you why it is. First, sexual sin is different from other sins. Now, some might say, well, sin is sin. Well, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Everybody know what flee means? It means get away from it. Don't play with it. Don't, don't get as close to it as you can. Playing with fire. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God with you. Listen, if you're a believer, you've, you've been bought. You ever think about this fact that if you're a believer and you get into sexual immorality, you're, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you into sexual immorality? Wow. Now, maybe we ought to think about that. We might not do it. Paul reminds us our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He's bought us. Sexual sin, secondly, is it was and it is rampant. I, I don't have to tell you how pervasive sex is today. Sex outside of marriage is often considered the norm. Sexual immorality is everywhere we look. We can't turn the TV on. You just It's everywhere. And thirdly, sexual sin destroys people. Satan has, he's, he's studied man long enough to know that just about everybody can be tempted by sexual sin. I mean, David was, was put on the sidelines for a period of time because his sexual sin with Bathsheba. Marriages are often destroyed because of infidelity. So we must put to death the earthly desires for sexual immorality. And listen, I suspect that's a word for someone that's here this morning. Flee sexual immorality before it costs you more than you want to pay. Before it destroys you, your family. Flee from it. Secondly, he mentions impurity. That's just that's kind of when our mind wants to think sensually about everything. Passions or lust. Lust is always looking for quick fulfillment, always wants more. A big difference between lust and love. Uh, love takes work and it grows deepens over time, but, but lust is only focuses on the, the sensual. Fourth, he mentions desires or, or evil desires. Our, our, our physical desires become evil when they're motivated by our sinful nature and, and acted upon for evil means. Then we have covetousness or greed, or, which is idolatry. Church, this is the sin of always wanting more. And, and this is the person who's never satisfied with what they have, and they're envious of what others have, and it, it leads to idolatry. It leads to a place where things take the place of God. We pursue the things of this world, or even people. We pursue other things more than God. 
And Paul says in verse 6 that it is because of these things. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It is coming. In the context, I think that wrath could refer to the judgment of God that we bring on ourselves according to the principle of reaping and sowing. Galatians 6, 7, we're going to reap what we sow. And so I think this wrath is sometimes the, the judgment that God gives us for, for the things we, we sow. Uh, Romans 1 talks about the wrath of God. I think we see this all around us. Romans 1, 24, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. Man began pursuing his own things. He, he put truth in the If you read Romans 1, man put truth in a box. He sat on the box. He said, I'll do it my way. And verse 24 says, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their body. I mean, we see this all around us, don't we? That is the wrath of God. And so Paul warns about the wrath of God. And, and he says that it is coming. Uh, in Ephesians 2, 3. It says that the wrath of God abides on those who have not trusted Christ because they are children of wrath. Listen, apart from Christ, we're not only dead in our trespasses, but we're under the wrath of God. And if a person doesn't come to faith before they die, they will experience the righteous wrath of a holy God. We warn people to turn from that. And so here's the bottom line for all these things that are mentioned in 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 these verses, in verse 5, these sensual sins should not be characteristic of a believer. Listen, if you're involved in any of these such immorality, let me just, here's what you do. You stop. You confess it to God. You make it right with the person that you've wronged. And be careful, church. Guard your minds and your hearts and you got to guard what you're looking at today. It's so easy. The internet is so accessible. Our phones are right in front. We've got to guard our hearts. The enemy knows that, that he can lead us astray through sexual temptations. So we talk about the wrath of God. I want to make sure you know there's some good news in here this morning. God's wrath is, is balanced within His holiness by mercy and grace and love. And, and while He hates sin... He's committed to us in love. Jesus is a great example of that. Remember the lady in adultery was brought to him and neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He balances grace and truth. He's repulsed by the sin and yet he loves the sinner. And so he gives grace and truth and he tells us, I think as a church, to do the same. We're to follow him completely. And verse 7 reminds us, in these you too once walked when you were... Li so listen, let's not get puffed up this morning and say, well, that, those immoral, impure, greedy. No. Paul says, you once walked that way. I, I think about my heart. I, I think about my heart when I was in college and just the impure thoughts that I had sometimes. And, and I think, man, I once walked in that. But that's the old man. We're not to continue in those things. And so that's what Paul says in verse 7. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Church, we put the past behind us, and by the grace of God, we live in a manner that reflects our new identity in Christ. We, we're new. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. But now, verse 
8 says. And so not only are we to put off the sensual sins, but, but I'm going to call these ones in verse 8 and 9, I'm going to call these social sins. And we might look at these lists of sins and say, ah, preacher, they're not that bad. Well, they're bad enough for Paul to mention them, aren't they? Paul doesn't think they're not that bad. So let's look at what we call these socially sins. And, and we might look at the first list and say, well, I'm not, I'm not sexually immoral. What this list? Be careful here. Notice verse 8. Now you must put them all away. And it's this image of taking off these smelly clothes. We were, we, we were by a fire the other night. And you know how you get to smell like smoke? Well, then yesterday I had to go to a wedding. I, can't, I couldn't wear them smelly, smoky stuff. I had to put them off. And put on the new. That's what we're invited to do as believers. We put off the old smelly stuff, the sinful stuff, and we put on the. the but here's the here's the smelly stuff. Here here's what we're to take off: anger. We know what anger. This hatred that that builds up within us. This wrath. That's when that anger bursts forth. Malice is this ill will towards others when we sometimes we have this hatred and we want revenge and sometimes we want it in secret. But that's this malice. The slander, that's when we destroy a person's reputation with, with lies and gossips and spreading rumors. And then he mentions uh, obscene talk or abusive speech, some translations, or, or filthy language, some translations. That's, that's crude talk or abrasive words or swearing or sexual endo-endo. And listen, our kids are bombarded with this stuff all the time. I, I was in the parking lot the other day and somebody rode through on something, and I could give you some initials of what they said. And I thought, man, that, that language is all around us. And I, I mentioned earlier that that language is worse up north. I hear more of this obscene talk, and it's, it, it's, it can become so customary to us that it becomes part of our language, and yet Paul would say, that's, that's the old man. When you got saved, you know what? He even saved your tongue. Amen? The whole, the whole body. I, I, I mentioned, I was just thinking about this this morning, that Caitlin uh, at one time recently said, Dad, I, Dad I, I think you said, I don't think I've ever heard you say a bad word. Uh, I'm not trying to bring that up, but I, I don't think I've ever heard her say a bad word. I don't think I have, and she's 19, almost 20. The point is, if, if as parents, is if it's okay for you to speak that way, then it's going to be okay for your kids. And Grandma and Grandpa, if it's okay for you, it's going to be okay for your grandkids. And so it, you, you, even if you say it's okay, it's old stuff. Paul says put that off because God has made a new creation in you. And, and don't we want to look new for the sake of Christ? And so, I, and I'm, man, I could get on a soapbox, but I'm tired of our politicians Obscene talk from our politicians. If your parents, you can't even watch the news with your kids because our politicians can't guard their lips. Man, let them know about it. I was going to say, don't vote for somebody who talks like that. I don't know who you'd vote for. That's sad, isn't it? Verse 9 says, do not lie. We, we know what lying is. Lying causes all kinds of trouble. It disrupts unity. It, it destroys trust. It tears up relationships. It's serious. And so here's the, here's the bottom line. These behaviors have no place in your life if you call yourself a Christian. Now, I'm not being legalistic about that. that. That's just what it says, isn't it? That has no place in the church. 
And so we can't say, well, those aren't big sins, so we don't worry about them. Paul says, put that stuff off. That, that's part of the old life. We're to put that off. We're to rid ourselves of that repulsive sins, those sexual sins and that speech so that we can, verse 10, put on the new self. Phew, finally got to the new self. Put on the new self. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you do it by recognizing what happened when you got saved. God gave you a new heart. Yeah, he took out that heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. He gave you a heart, a new heart. And so you can. Then the verse 9, put off the old self with its practices and having put on the new self. Now I'm going to talk about that more next time. And, but notice, you, you, notice the language here. You have taken off the your old self and you have put on the new self. I, I want to show you something. Th this is not so much a command to keep as it is a truth to claim. If you're a believer, Paul says you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self. It's already been done. And so we are exhorted to stop doing certain things because by the grace of God, we can. God has changed our hearts and we're not who we used to be. And it says the new self has been put on and is being renewed. It, 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 we're being renewed in knowledge after the... See, God is conforming us more and more to the image of His Son. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's, that's Romans 8. 28, 29, he's, he's wanting to make us more like Jesus. And the new self has been put on and is being renewed in the knowledge of the one who created us. And uh, part of God's purpose is to restore us to his image. Warren Wisby, I like what he said. He said, we were formed in God's image and deformed from God's image by sin. But through Jesus Christ, we can be transformed into God's image once again. So we're formed in God's image Sin deformed us, and we can be transformed back into his image again. And, and listen, we're not passive in this. Are you with me? We, we have a road, Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. And so we have a new position, we have new practices, and finally we have a new perspective. Listen, when we come into a relationship with Christ... Hopefully, we'll begin to see others as Jesus sees them. Well, how does he see them? Well, I'll tell you how he doesn't see them. He doesn't see them as Jew and Greek and barbarian and some slave and some free. And No, there's, there's no distinction, verse 11 says. There's, uh, Here there is not Greek or Jew, and circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. I'll just make this really simple. This verse teaches us that in Christ there should be no barriers. No barriers of nationality and race and education and social standing and wealth and gender and religion. Or, there's, 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 no, there's not barriers. Listen, church, the gospel, when all is done, the gospel tears on all barriers, removes all prejudice. Because it's not about anything but about Christ. And so we have these groups. I don't, I don't have time to go into them, but you know the Jews and the, the Greeks, the, the Jews thought the, the, the Greeks and the Gentiles were outside of God's grace, that they were heathen and immoral. The Greeks thought that anyone who were non-Greeks were barbarians. The Scythian is the, the lowest of the barbarians. They, they were considered about the same as beast. 
Obviously, there's a big distinction between slave and free uh, from a cultural perspective. But all of these human barriers, everything in verse 11 is part of the old man. And we put that off when we got saved. And we put on the new one. And the good news for us is that God dwells in all believers regardless of background or social status. And we have to be sure that we never allow prejudice or divisions to take root in our lives. We're no better than anyone else. And they say it's the grounds level at the foot of the cross. That comes from like verse 11. It says there's not these divisions anymore. In Christ, we're changed. We have a new position. We, we've died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We've been hidden with Christ. We, he's going to appear, and we're going to be glorified with Christ. We have new patterns for living. We have a new perspective on life. And so in Christ, we, church, become a community of grace, and all are welcome to come through Christ by faith. And then finally, that last phrase, Christ is all and in all. Let me ask you this morning, is Christ your all? That's the most important question this morning. There's so much that we can learn in these verses about who we are in Christ. But at the end of day, end of life, is Christ your all? And if he's not, would you make him your all this morning? Would you make him your all? Let's pray. Father, your word is, oh, it's living and active and powerful and sharp and it, it accomplishes its purposes. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that this morning that we would be doers of your word. Lord, I am certain that there are some things in our lives that the Spirit has prodded us about this morning. There's some old ways of life. There's some earthly desires, some sensual, fleshly desires this morning that's in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. And I pray, Spirit, that we'll not just stand and mindlessly sing this morning. But I pray that for just a few moments we can examine our hearts. Lord, in a sense, may you give us noses to, to smell the filth of the old man and give us the desire to put that off and walk in newness of life you've you have made us new in christ we have died with christ we're not our own anymore we've been bought with a price and father sometimes we have to be reminded of that we're we're not always living in the new man and so you deal with our hearts this morning Lord, if there's someone here today who hasn't made Christ their Lord, I, I pray that they would hear the invitation this morning to come alive. If there's someone here this morning that's under your wrath, that they would come in faith and no longer be a child of wrath, but be a child of God. I pray they would know that there's an invitation to, to turn from their sins and believe upon Christ and, and make Christ the Lord. I I pray that that invitation would go out strongly this morning. And, and this morning, you would bring some out of death and bring them into life. Lord, you have the power to do that. And, and we would celebrate that and we welcome that. And, and Lord, I pray there's not a person here that leaves this morning under the wrath of God. 
save some this morning. Lord, we invite you this morning to invite some into this family to be a part of a, a local family of believers who, who are trying to encourage one another, who are trying to grow in Christ-likeness. Lord, if you want to add some to our family today, we invite you to do that. We, we just give you this invitation. We ask you to, to be strong, to save, to change hearts and lives. Do that, we pray, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and sing to the Lord this morning?